This episode is sponsored by Free Market Kids. Join the league of families who are transforming family time into unforgettable Bitcoin learning experiences. With our Hoddle Up Bitcoin mining board game, you're not just playing. You're building bridges, creating memories, and unlocking the brilliance of the future one block at a time. When mom and dad first started getting into Bitcoin, it sounded like they were getting into a cult. And I was a little worried. I was like, who's this Satoshi person? And why does he have the white papers? It's like your holy grail sacred scripture. And then there are these meetings and currency. And it is the solution to the evil in the world. And I'm like, oh my gosh, there's so many theological parallels here. It's kind of scary. I didn't even think I was going to work at a bankruptcy firm. I just wanted to get into the field of law. And now that I'm learning about bankruptcy and money in general, it's really opening my eyes. I used to try to block it out. I don't want to think about money because it bothers me. I just want to make enough to survive. But now that this is where I work, I can't not think about it. Hey everybody, welcome to Orange Hatter. I've got a very exciting announcement to make today. The website for the Orange Hatter Retreat is up and registration is now open. We are offering a 21% discount for anyone who registers by January 30th, 2024. We didn't have to move the retreat up by one day, so it will run from March 16th through the 20th in Merida, Yucatan, Mexico. This is in partnership with Project Yucatan. It's going to be an amazing five days of recharge, restoration, and deep connections with women Bitcoiners. It will be an absolutely incredible chance to meet like-minded women and form friendships that will last a lifetime. Please go to the website www.orangehatter.com slash Yucatan, and I will see you in Mexico. And now on to our very wonderful guest. Enjoy. This is a special episode with Orange Hatter, a fun format. So it's me and my daughter, Alea, and Stacy, who I interviewed last week, and her daughter, Emma. And we're all just going to have a fun conversation together today. Let's see how it goes. Sounds good. It's ex- we're excited to be here. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. So you already know who I am, and our audience would know who Stacy is. So why don't we have Emma introduce herself and then have Alea introduce herself after that? All right. Thank you. Uh, my name is Emma. Right now, I work as a paralegal at a bankruptcy law firm, uh, but I graduated uh, last year in 2022 with my bachelor's in linguistics from University of Illinois. Uh, so thank you for having me on here. I'm excited. Awesome. Welcome. Alea? Well, I'm still in college, so I go to Asbury University, and I'm a freshman there. I haven't declared my major. I used to be political science pre-law. But that was not for me, so I'm glad I figured that out. So now I'm just going to school, trying to figure things out, and that's where I am. Thanks for having me on, Mom. <laughs> Wait, are you a freshman or a sophomore? I feel like you're a sophomore. I'm a freshman. I don't have enough credits because I transferred schools, so I'm supposed to be a sophomore. But two or three of my classes didn't carry over, so like by credit, I'm a freshman. So I'm going to take those credits over the summer, and I'll be a junior next year. So I'll just never be a sophomore. Which is tragic, because that's when everyone says it gets good. So, <laughs> juniors are just too stressed all the time. But it's yeah, all right. just by way of background, uh, she graduated early, joined COVID, and she did a study abroad for one semester, and then came back and went to spring semester at a university in Indianapolis, and then took a gap year, and now is returning to school to continue her education. It's been a very long road. So here I am. It feels very long. (laughs) I graduated high school in like 2020 and I'm still a freshman in college somehow. I don't know. 
You're good. That's me. You have time. I have time. That's yeah. what everyone says. But <laughs> <laughs> the pressure's building. Everyone asks me what I'm majoring in. That's not the point. That That's is not, what I no. just introduced what, myself. We're going to let Stacey ask you the first question. Oh, gosh. Okay. <laughs> okay. So here we go, Alea. So I know you came from a home where both parents are Bitcoiners, right? Mm -hmm. And I would like you to talk to us about how that influenced your thinking. What did you think when you first heard? I think your dad was into Bitcoin before, he, you know, he, you know, begrudgingly pulled your mom in, right? Now mm -hmm. they're both orange-pilled, and then they orange-pilled you guys just by osmosis, right? Yeah. Os living in the house, which is the same thing that happens to Emma. So tell us what it was like growing up in a home, or however long your parents were talking about Bitcoin and you were around and hearing about Bitcoin in your childhood or your young adult life. Mm -hmm. how, how did that influence you? Well, I definitely didn't grow up with it. I, I think dad got into it a couple years ago. I wasn't really involved. I didn't even know what Bitcoin was until I think I was in college for the first time when I was at Butler University spring semester. And I had come home a couple times and dad was kind of throwing this word around Bitcoin and self-custody and all these funny financial terms. And I was like, okay, dad, I'm just trying to like survive at school. Um, so I didn't really think too much about it. And then mom recommended that I read a book called Bitcoin Money You Can't F With. And I was mm -hmm. humoring her. I was like, oh, fine. I'll listen to the book. It seems like it's interesting. Not really. But I ended up getting really interested in it after I heard that book. And it broke down how our current economic system is set up. And mm -hmm. it made me mad. I was 17 at the time. And I was like, oh, my gosh, my life is going to be over if I don't get into this. You know, because Bitcoin kind of like it puts that sense of urgency in you. So I don't think I was really influenced by my parents getting into Bitcoin until my mom sent me that book. So I invested a little bit in it and continued to learn about it, especially as my dad developed his games and started networking and told me about meeting people like you. They went to all these different Bitcoin events. So I don't think I'm really all into it just because I am still at school and I'm just trying to figure that out, but it definitely makes me feel like when I'm talking to my peers, I have a much more mature view on what our future is going to look like financially, because a lot of my peers have this attitude of, oh, you know, if I get the right degree and I work hard enough and I save money, then I'll be okay. And I'm looking at them like, no, you don't know. You don't, you may not be okay. You might do everything right and you may not be okay. So... Yeah, that's that's kind of how it influenced me is still influencing me. And I mean, mom and dad are just getting more and more into it. So I always hear something when I call them at night. When she calls, I always start with this. I talk to the most interesting woman today on my podcast. Every time. It's every night. She's like, guess what? I'm like, what? I talked to someone very interesting to wait. No way. You talked to someone interesting today, which is great. I mean, there's always something to talk about. So I'm still learning about it. And yeah, it's yeah, I told her I, I interviewed this woman and between walking from the car and into her living room, had an epiphany, she fell and hit her head and then said, I'm out of here. Yeah, that woman was kind of I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh, That's... that was you. Oh my gosh. I don't was, know. Oh my goodness. Me. I was so I thought mom was joking when she told me that I was like, there's a, that was a metaphor like, oh, she like hit her head and was like, oh my gosh. And it, no, you actually fell and hit your head. Oh, on the ice in Chicago, I was, we got home from vacation, I was walked down the driveway to check the mail, mm -hmm. fell, hit my head, broke my screen on my phone, and Yikes. I was just 
mad. I was just furious. <laughs> I went in the house, had a meltdown and said, I'm leaving. I'm moving to Vegas. Wow. I don't even know where that came from. I said, I don't even know if I have a concussion, but I okay, said, probably do, but so that's, that's fine. It, it got you to a good place, right? So there you go. That's the question it, I want to throw at Emma. <laughs> <laughs> you followed your mom. You were a few steps behind her, right? What the yeah. heck happened? <laughs> I mean, we've always been really close. So it was hard to hear about her like moving away and me not even thinking about going with her. So I definitely thought about it. And I mean, the timing was kind of perfect because I was just graduating from college. So for me, it was almost a no brainer. I was like, well, of course, I'm going to go with you. So I came and I didn't even try to get any job with my degree. because I was like, what am I going to do with linguistics? I feel like any work that I do would be remote anyway. So it doesn't matter if I move. And then being here, there's a lot of billboards and stuff about like lawyers that you don't really see back in Illinois as much. So it got me kind of thinking more about law. And then I just was kind of applying to law firms just to get in the field and start learning about it. And before I knew it, I was working where I work now. And then they um, promoted me to paralegal. And I just now I know so much. And it happened to be about bankruptcy, which is kind of exciting because it ties into Bitcoin. And I wasn't expecting that, but it kind of worked out perfectly. And I know mom always says to me, like, oh, my God, you're fulfilling the prophecy. Like, I, I know you're going to you're going to do something in Bitcoin one day. And I'm just like, OK, slow down, like maybe. But we're not there yet. <laughs> and Satoshi makes a decision. Satoshi's our puppet master, not me, man. So <laughs> but yeah, it's weird where life takes you, because I mean, I kind of knew I was going to follow her and the timing was perfect. And then I just I didn't know I'd be doing this here. And then I think about it more in my in my daily life because I'll be talking to people at work and their financial issues always make me think now, well, Bitcoin wouldn't have you in this situation. You know, if if we really, truly functioned on Bitcoin, they wouldn't be really having the same struggles that I see every single day. And I, I did not know I would be thinking this way after hearing her talk about it so long. But I can't help but kind of apply that to the situations I hear at work. So. You went into Bitcoin not a long time ago. It was during, during COVID. COVID. During, during COVID, COVID, I started on Clubhouse. Right. And that's how I met Justin Redrick, my business partner. Yeah. Right. So, Emma, so that, that was only a couple of years ago. What was it like when your mom started to get into it and literally just went from nothing <sighs> to I'm all in? What was Zero that Zero like? to 100. Yeah, that's exactly how it felt. Kind of at first, I kind of thought, oh, I, didn't, I don't want to say I thought she was crazy, but I was a little like, what's going on? Like... I didn't understand anything. And honestly, I was impressed. I was impressed with her knowledge and her interest because every single day it was something new and I didn't even understand it. So it took a really long time for me to finally start grasping the idea. But I did notice pretty early on that like this is a real passion that she has and it's got to mean something big to her. And that's when I kind of started getting more interested myself because I was like, okay, there's got to be some really big meaning here. And I don't know, I, I just think it's awesome. It says a lot about who she is as a person and I get that from her as well, you know, just like caring about people and wanting everyone to be in their best, their best lives, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. At first it was really crazy, but you can't help but start to think about it when you're hearing about it all day, every day. And I'll be talking about something random and somehow she relates it to Bitcoin. And so that's how you know it's really important to her. <laughs> That sounds like oh, yeah, I can say something. I was going to say, like, anytime I bring up anything at school, I'm trying to think of a good example. There was, this is a very obvious one, but I was sitting down to have breakfast with this one girl, and she asked me if I knew anything about the stock market because she wants to start investing for her future now. And you just don't meet a lot of people who are that forward thinking. And I was like, okay, 
I could give her the whole Bitcoin spiel just because I have heard it so many times, but I did. I didn't want to like hit her over the head with it, so I just suggested that she listen to the same book I did. But yeah, you do end up. I hear it a lot anytime I bring up anything at school. Well, anytime she brings up anything at all on our phone calls, yes. for some reason, Scott can always spin it to a Bitcoin angle every yes. time. Yes. It can be a lot. I think I told him the other night, I was like, Dad, I just want to talk about this. You know, like, <laughs> I don't want to talk about how this affects the political system and therefore the money system is bad and Bitcoin is good. I'm like, okay, I got that. Like, let me just focus on like my problem right now. I don't even remember what it was. But yeah, I ended up having to, to tell him that. Sometimes I do. It's it, like, especially when mom and dad first started getting into Bitcoin, it, it kind of sounded like they were getting into a cult. And I was a little worried. I was like, who's this Satoshi person? And like, why does he have the white papers? It's like your holy grail sacred scripture. And then there are like these meetings that you go to and you have your currency that you value and it is the solution to a, the evil in the world. And I'm like, oh my gosh, there's so many theological parallels here. It's kind of scary. So, but yeah, they're very passionate about it and they do tie it into a lot of what we talk about. Do you have any questions for Emma? She's, <laughs> she's sitting in the same boat you are. Yeah. I know, I know. I think because your mom is so into it, do you ever feel like you almost become desensitized to it or like almost take it for granted that you understand what Bitcoin is and what it represents? Because I, I definitely feel like I take that for granted. I have a certain framework that my parents brought me up having. Like when I look at the world, I see it in terms like bitcoin terms you know and that just makes sense to me but it doesn't make sense to other people so i guess do you have that same thing where you just kind of take it for granted that you understand how the money system is set up and that there's an alternative i would say for sure definitely it's tough because i try to balance like knowing what we know with like my relationships with other people especially where i work sometimes when we're talking about stuff at work or certain situations i just want to start preaching about bitcoin but really nobody else where I work knows about it. And I, I know one of the coworkers that I'm the closest with, I started telling her one day, like, oh my God, they took money out of this guy's bank and blah, blah. Like he didn't even do anything. Like, how can they do that? Well, if we had Bitcoin. And then as soon as I started talking about Bitcoin is where she just got disinterested. And I'm like, I, I feel like in a way that that was me at home and that is me on a normal basis. But then when I'm in these situations, and I start to see it for myself and my mom isn't there, I begin to apply Bitcoin. So like, I do feel like I take it for granted on a daily basis. But then when there are things that come up that I'm not expecting that kind of spark a, a passion in me, I can't help but approach it from that view because that's what's deep down in there. I'm just not usually thinking about it like that. I'm usually like, oh, well, this is my daily life talking about Bitcoin with moms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. How many of your peers at college know Bitcoin for what it is? Like, do most of them think it's just another cryptocurrency or, or do people truly see it differently the way that our parents do? It's not even, as far as I can tell, it's not even something they're considering. They don't even know about cryptocurrency. They don't know how the economic system is set up and the fact that it could be different. They don't really know. They don't understand inflation. They don't understand how the government taxes them. They don't understand short-term versus long-term thinking. What's the word for that? Dad always talks about it. Time preference. Low time preference. Low time versus... preference versus a high time preference. Time preference it's yeah. like it's not even in their world. What they're worried about is how much money can I make after college? How many digits can I get after? 
after the one. So I, I guess like I don't know the answer to your question just because they don't know for the most part. It's also not something I really bring up a whole lot over the breakfast table, but yeah, I just don't think it's in, it's not even like in their, their realities at all. Yeah, yeah. it's not taught in schools, right? So, you know, you got, you were homeschooled, right? Yeah. So heard about it and there's probably people that come from the upper class that hear about it around the dinner table they talk about that but probably most middle class and lower class I mean when uh, Justin goes into the prisons right that's what we hear the people that were you know especially the people that came from low-income homes there was no financial discussion in their house they didn't understand anything Mm -hmm. so you can't blame people the systems groomed us to not understand and learn about it so I don't blame them but they'll learn about it the world's opening up Mm mm-hmm yeah, it's kind of like that that meme, the the one fish asked the other fish, how's the water today? And the other fish is like, what water? When I went into my other daughter's friend group on campus, I asked the same question, like, does anybody know anything about Bitcoin and blank faces? And then I said, have you heard of Bitcoin? And they were like, yeah, we've heard of Bitcoin. Well, like, do you understand how the economy works? Blank faces. And these are business students. They're economic major students and they have like what she's saying, it's not even within their realm of things to question. It yeah. things are just the way that they are, and that's it. Yeah. And you just figure out how to survive in it and you don't consider that we could possibly change the system. I think that's what Emma sees every day at work, right? Because you see different when people file bankruptcy, it's for different reasons. Yeah. And then a, a lot of the thing that's really sad to me is people put it on themselves. Like they're, they'll be mm-hmm. like, this is really embarrassing. Like I've messed up. And to an extent, like, yeah, they did have some control over it, but I do feel like it's the system set up for failure. So it's almost like it's hard to console them because I want to just be like, you know, you're not the only one and it was set up for you to fail, but you can't just tell them that. So it, it, it's hard because I, I, I see how, how, how tricky it is. Well, without naming names or identifiable facts, can you share some cases with us, like something that you've observed? Yeah, yeah. So the one that I was kind of referencing earlier, I know this guy, he, I don't know how much debt exactly he was in, but Wells Fargo is kind of infamous in in our area for like being the worst of the worst. Like they will just take money out of your bank account. They will freeze funds and, and they'll just do whatever they want with your money really if, if you're in debt even the slightest and so this guy had like I think close to nine thousand dollars taken out of his sister's account that he co-signed with her on just because he was in debt which I mean I understand he owes money but like to just freely take it is is a whole nother thing kind of eye for an eye there in my opinion but and that was Wells Fargo so I that that had me really angry because I I knew obviously with Bitcoin that wouldn't even be a a topic of discussion I mean what can I say the only thing I can do is help them the best I can which even then it feels like David versus Goliath right there and then I this other interesting case that we're actually having right now this guy he he didn't have any tax returns the past couple years um but he made a lot of money. And so one of my coworkers was actually handling his case. And she was telling me that he, I, I had heard that he made a lot of money from Bitcoin. And I was like, what did he do exactly? And so she found out from him that he was laundering money for like a billionaire through something related to Bitcoin. I'm still not entirely sure. And we're not going to file his case because it's going to be bankruptcy fraud because technically he does have a lot of money. So I don't know what's going on, but I don't think that, 
type of situation gives a good rep for Bitcoin necessarily. So I, I don't know what he's doing, but I'm sure he knows what's in it with Bitcoin if he's involved. I don't know. <laughs> There's a lot of different things that I hear, kind of good, kind of bad, and then things that aren't even related to Bitcoin that I, I relate. So yeah, yeah tell Did us you... more. <laughs> when people file bankruptcy, they, they're supposed to report their Bitcoin, right? So if they have KYC, so if they have Bitcoin, they bought like off an exchange and they're filing bankruptcy, they have to report that to you, right? Yeah. So that that is a good point. That's why I, as much, as little as I know about Bitcoin, I, from what I see, non-KYC is definitely the way to go. You, when, when you're going through bankruptcy, what I tell people is you pretty much get no financial privacy whatsoever. Like just the other day, this guy was super angry that he had to give his bank account information. And I mean, if you're filing for bankruptcy, that's what has to happen. Unfortunately, it's on the federal level. So they're going to want to know everything. And um, it's the same with crypto. You have to give all your information for any cryptocurrency accounts that you have. And that's where non-KYC comes in, because if you have that, then technically, I mean, then it kind of turns into the other realm of that guy, like bankruptcy fraud, where maybe you do have money and you're still going to file bankruptcy. So I don't know. That's up to the individual. But at least from what I see on a daily basis, if you have non-KYC, that definitely is not going to be tracked. Like no one's going to know about that. So that's more of like, what do they, what, what do they call it? Self-custody? Yes. Self-custody. Self there yeah. you go. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes. That's it. Yeah, that's very interesting. <laughs> it is. Oh, it is. <laughs> yeah, and I know yeah. my mom always talks about how there's going to be like these five main banks that are soon going to take over everything. I don't know. I just hear it from her. I don't know if everybody else is on that page or not. But I mean, that being said, like I would definitely. Talking, I think we were talking about the regional banks. When yeah. Silicon Valley Bank broke up and I said they're going to all end up going to the big banks and the big banks are going to go every own everything and the smaller banks. Or just gonna probably eventually go away. Yeah, I mean, I know it had me thinking for sure. I would take all my money out and put it in my mattress right now. Really? Yeah. I mean, however, you have to have it so that you don't need to report it because I feel like your money should be your own, your own possession, just the same as your car, your kitchen table, like literally anything. Like you should be able to do whatever you want with it, and if it's irresponsible, then that's on you. And so. People filing for bankruptcy, sometimes it's because they were irresponsible, but other times it's because they were just dealt a bad hand. You see widowed women that their husbands passed away and they had $20,000 in medical bills. And then these women maybe weren't working because their husbands were working. And then they just don't even know what to do with themselves. And it's like, I, I can't really blame them for, for having to file bankruptcy. And then that follows them when it's like, I, I don't know that it really needs to be this way. So yeah, there's a I mean, just the medical bills alone, I think, because it's so astronomical, you can have one incident and it'll wipe out everything that you have ever worked hard to save and mm -hmm. then also go into bankruptcy. I remember one of the cases Emma told me about that just got me really worked up was a very young boy, I think it was 18 years old, came in and he had a little debt, like $2,000, you know, not a ton. And he went to file bankruptcy and it costs about $2,000 to file bankruptcy. And they're trying to tell him, no, just don't pay for the bankruptcy, you know, go pay off this debt. And I think if I remember correctly, he explained he grew up in the foster care system, right? Well, that's not exactly what happened. So everything is about money, right? So our person that does the intakes there, she's very, you can tell that she doesn't care so much about these people's personal situation. She cares more about getting the business. So she didn't really tell him not to file, which was what we were all wondering was like, why did you let him go through with this if he if the amount that he owes is the same amount he's going to pay us, it really doesn't make sense. 
I mean, there's that, but he did tell her that he grew up in foster care. He didn't have any parents and, and stuff. And it was just credit card debt. So like something that simple budgeting can help you out with, but unfortunately that was his solution. And even he came to us for help and we still didn't help him because it was about money. Right. So that, that was kind of tough to see. So he was counseled by somebody that with a $2,000 credit card debt, he should file for bankruptcy. I don't know where he got the idea, yeah. but I mean, when you go for a consultation, you expect to kind of be guided a little bit, but no, the lady that does it where I work, she doesn't, she's not too concerned about really helping people. She's more concerned about kind of raising her own numbers within the company. So she took it as an opportunity to just take Get another account Yeah, yeah. the company. Yeah. So what's the benefit that, what is the out that this young man was looking for basically that his credit card debt would be wiped yeah yeah pretty much which I, I don't even he wasn't even having like a wage garnishment or a lawsuit or anything it wasn't even that bad which is why i i went home telling my mom he should wait he should wait until it gets bad it's not even bad yet if he's just in a little bit of debt so i really don't know where he got the idea but somehow he was directed to us and my coworker just went with it for her own benefit I think. And of yeah. course, I was worked up and said, can you can you give me his number? I want to call him. Tell him to meet me for coffee. I want to talk to him. <laughs> and we're like, she's like, mom, I can't do any of that. Of course not. I'm like, okay. It was just killing me to see somebody make a decision like that just because he had no guidance. It felt so unfair. Yeah. Is that something I, common I that like, you're seeing? I wouldn't say it's common, but I am a little bit surprised at the amount of young people. And by young, I would say like 20 five and younger that I see like it's not a lot but I didn't really expect to see any and there are some yeah and it's crazy how much they don't care too they're just like oh yeah this is what has to happen whereas the older people tend to be the ones that are more shaken up about what's going on and I don't know really what that says besides the fact that maybe we are getting desensitized to financial problems that's a good point. Well, I would say yeah. just at least in the college bubble that I live in there's almost this culture of it's kind of like the normal hip thing to be like, oh my gosh, I just spent so much money at Starbucks. Oh my gosh, I just spent way too much money at the store. You know, like it's kind of just part of being a college student. It becomes part of your identity to always have financial issues. And I don't know exactly where that stems from, but I could definitely see that following them out into the the real world. I'll put that in quotes. They're just They're just really used to not having money and running up their credit card. And that's just something that I noticed, especially when I went to a bigger school, because I, I, my school now is much smaller, but when I went to the bigger school, it was definitely, I was looking around as a 17-year-old who grew up in a household where they talk a lot about like, financial responsibility and all that stuff. These girls who had spent like, 5 $7 on a drink every day, and I'm like, do you understand the compound effect? Do you understand how much money you're going to spend here if you buy that drink every day for the next four years? And they just, it's not even they don't have the energy so they say to think about the future like that so i think it's almost part of the college culture moving into the real world with them it may not be but that's just a thought that i had well i feel like a lot of it does go back to pop culture because if you go on tiktok you really go anywhere there's a common relation of like oh my god i'm so broke but like look at my haul mm -hmm. you know it's i can't help but feel that it's 1984-esque in a way of like let's all relate on how tough we all have it but let's try to be happy with what we do have it's weird yeah and there's not as much i guess social value placed on being very conservative with your money 
like when I go out with my friends, which is not very often because I just don't like to go out and I decide not to buy any food or not to buy a drink or not to pay extra to go to another movie, it's kind of like, oh, well, what's wrong with you? Why not? So there's even more social pressure to just spend money that you don't have. So uh-huh. there's that too. And TikTok is not helping. <laughs> I don't have TikTok. Well, I think for women, TikTok it's even tougher to everything's in our face, right? You've got clothes, hair, makeup, blah, blah, blah. Like buy this, buy this, buy this new thing, new upgraded. You bought version A by version B. You know, it's just, it's insane. It's out of control. And it's, if you don't just look at it as noise, you'll be overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. Some of it is noise, but then you have YouTube that used to be YouTube. And now it's, if you want the real YouTube with no ads, you got to pay for it. So it's mm-hmm. like, yeah. everything is changing yeah and if you want to feel included in the social culture on campus then you pay for things like that so that's not helping either Mm -hmm. how much of it is because everybody has access to a credit card because when you and i were going to school Mm -hmm. credit card was not a thing i mean it was you celebrate it when you were given when you applied and got a 500 hundred dollar credit card limit do you remember those days they were stuffing those application things in our mailboxes, mailroom, they would just be yeah. over the floor. And if you didn't have money. They still get them. As Emma, a new, relatively new graduate, every single day I get this paper mail, mm-hmm. don't we? Applications, Capital One, Visa, everything. They're okay. just trying to get her in as fast as they can because she just graduated. Yeah. And I just put recycle, recycle, recycle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but back in the day when you didn't have money, you just, didn't spend money because it wasn't not an option but now you can spend into your future what is that concept when you're using money that's not real money like monopoly money or Mm -hmm. even money that you don't handle so just digital money you don't get the impact of the spending itself doesn't that go back to dave ramsey because i feel like you made there's there was some sort of financial program she made me do when i was a lot younger and it was like if you have to buy something and it's not a lot, try paying in cash because it becomes, you have like a physical pain response. I don't know if they did like a, a study on it. I remember hearing about that though, but it's so true. Like when you have to hand over a $50 bill, like I, I pay for my horseback riding lessons in cash. And when I hand over whatever that is, I'm like, oh, okay. Oh man, there goes my money. <laughs> you know, like I, I worked really hard for that. And it, it's yeah. worth it for me, but that makes me value the experience more. And I think a lot of people my age just don't even know what it's like to pay with cash. They do, they don't understand that emotional response you have. So, yeah, it's very true. It's very true. You just get the dopamine hit when the thing shows up at your door. That yeah. or like it always gives you a little ding or like a green check when you pay and you're like, oh, I did something right because we're so conditioned to want that little green check on our assignment or get the little like approval thing from Quizlet or whatever. It's it's, it's like all the social psychology. It's playing into it as well. Okay, so Emma, so I'm going to throw your mom's question back at you, which is what about your peers? Not necessarily the people that you work with at the law firms, but just when you were first exposed to it, you were wrapping up your fourth year in college. What was that like with your friends and the whole concept of money and preparing for the future? I feel like pretty much the same as what Alea said. I do know some people would have crypto or they would know about it, but to them it was all the same and they would just have it as a flex like, oh, I have so much money in this one and so much money in this one just to kind of seem smart because other people would be like, whoa, that's cool. But for the most part, we all would love to relate on how broke we were and how messed up we would think our futures are going to be. And it's it's sad because that's that's like a, a 
common suffering that we're just trying to make light of. And it's it's really not funny. We're all unsure. And I know every everybody probably deals with that in your youth, whether it's financial or anything else. But I think right now financial is probably the biggest aspect of life that we all are a little scared about. I know a lot of my friends didn't know what they were going to do with their majors, including me. They're like, yeah, I just do it because I like it, but I don't know what I'm going to do with it. I'm not I'm not really sure how I'm going to make money with it. And then other people would be in their certain major just to make money. It was kind of split on you were either one or the other. So like people would major in economics or business just because they knew that's where the money was, but they wouldn't be passionate about it. You know, any passion would just be because they were hopeful for a good income. I was just going to tell a quick little story. And I had a friend that came over when I really started first getting into Bitcoin and I was reading all the books, Bitcoin Standard and everything. And I couldn't quit talking about it because I couldn't quit thinking about it because I couldn't sleep. And I was just on this high about Bitcoin. And I talk about it. And the friend was always like, oh, my God, you go to Emma's house. And here's what you're going to hear all the time, Bitcoin, Bitcoin. And I was like, OK, you have Cash App? Let's get you some. And she was like, no, I don't know. I don't know. And then she goes back to college. And then she always heard it when she came over to our house. And then I remember she came back one day and she's like, well, mom, I bought some Bitcoin. And I'm like, why? How'd you do it? Why? I want to know everything. And she's like, well, I was sitting in a class and I saw the girl in front of me hold her phone up, look at the Bitcoin price and it gave her FOMO, right? She's like, wait, she knows something. I don't know. Like I know about Bitcoin. Why didn't I buy anything? So then she said she went back and got her cash app, went back to her house and got her cash app and bought some Bitcoin. So now she can be cool in class and pull up her phone and look at the Bitcoin price too. So I think that that kind of peer pressure for this generation is really important about it, right? That's why they all, like she said, the flex about crypto and Bitcoin and all that. It's easy for them to pull the trigger because they hear this crazy parent talk, these old people talk about it, but when their peers are getting into it, maybe for a slightly different reason, or maybe less of the humanitarian reason than the adults do, I think that's sort of an orange pilling way to do it. Because I found with that generation, because I, I orange pill a lot of people in different generations, and I feel that peer pressure is what really happens or peer i'll say peer influence instead of peer pressure that's not nice <laughs> but peer influence right is that kind of what helps that generation because they're because you don't because if they don't want to be the weirdo they're not going to go to the party or whatever and be like yo let's talk about bitcoin you're like no you're weird you know but if the other friends are doing it then they're okay you know if your circle's doing it but they're not going to be the first one to chime in about it i think what do you think about that I mean, I think it's true. It's it's really tough to be the first person because everyone's going to question you. So yeah. in order to step out, you have to know your stuff, which is part of the reason why I don't bring it up very much because I don't feel like I'd be able to represent it very well, if that makes sense. But it is very true. I mean, people are insecure, especially our generation for some reason seems to be particularly insecure and very, very isolated and they're afraid of being alone. And that comes with pretty much anything. They're afraid of being alone physically, emotionally, socially. So I think you hit the nail on the head with that, at least in my experience. Yeah, I think when I would think about how when I orange pill the different generations, when I think about boomers, because I've got, you know, a friend that's like 65 years old, way into real estate. And he freaking loves Rich Dad, Poor Dad. What's his Robert name? Kiyosaki. Robert Kiyosaki. Oh, he would preach that guy to me all the time. Then I called him the other day and I'm like, hey, you know, Kiyosaki's now advocating for Bitcoin. He's like, Stacy, he's old and senile now. I don't trust him anymore. <laughs> so, okay, so listen, so this boomer generation, right? It's like ego and unlearning, right? He's all invested in his real estate. He can't say I'm wrong. 
He's not going to admit that to himself or publicly. And he's financially really invested in it. You know, and when you're that age, you don't have a lot more time to work. Right. So I'm not going to back out of this commitment that I'm all in in real estate. So you've got ego and kind of unlearning at that age. You know, I'm Gen X and we have a little bit of a fixed mindset. But we also have a growth mindset. We kind of relate to both generations. And then millennials, I think as long as you make a meme about it, they understand. And I think they're feeling the pain. They feel the pain and it's real to them. So I think that's why so many millennials are into Bitcoin. And if you think about it, when, um, when Generation Alpha comes, the babies that are born now, orange pilling won't be a thing. It'll just be the way they live. We don't, the, all this, we won't have to teach them Bitcoin. It'll just be how they live because the technology will be better, you know, with their newborns or below five or something right now. It'll just be how they live. We won't have to educate them on it. It's how they'll function by the time they're 15 and 10 more years. Yeah, that's how they'll function. Mm -hmm. So Emma, now that you have been orange pilled and you are seeing what you're seeing at the bankruptcy firm, I, I imagine it's really impacting uh, your viewpoint on Bitcoin and why other people get upset like you, your mom and me. How do you see yourself going forward in terms of not only how you manage your own finances, but also in terms of sharing it with your peers. Mm -hmm. Honestly, it's really blurry for me right now. I would compare it to like when I was still in college and I was trying to decide my major. I honestly don't know, but I do have the clarity to know that it is bothering me as well. So I honestly, I was always, I started college as a poli-sci major and then I went to linguistics. So I've always been more on the humanitarian side of, I, I initially wanted to go into immigration law and I still kind of could see myself doing that, but uh, it's, it's getting blurrier because honestly, I never saw myself doing something related to anything financial because I just never understood it. I never understood like economics. I hated it. Business. I hated it because I just didn't want to think about money because I hated it. And so now I'm realizing it's just the same, the other side of the same coin, because it's like, as much as I hate it, it's because I hate fiat and I didn't even know that's what it really was. So I still, I'm learning a lot working where I work right now, but I still have a lot to learn. So maybe when I learn some more, I will want to go down that route and do something to to really fight for Bitcoin. I'm not too sure, but I, I do know that I'm learning a lot right now and I'm kind of in a transitional period of questioning what I want to do. I didn't even think I was going to work at a bankruptcy firm. I just wanted to get into the field of law. And then now that I'm learning about bankruptcy and just money in general, it's really opening my eyes because money is like the physical form of energy in a sense. It affects everyone. It really does. And I used to try to block it out and be like, well, I don't want to think about money because it bothers me. I just want to make enough to survive and I'm good. And I don't want to think about it anymore. But now that this is where I work, I can't not think about it. And I'm kind of forced to learn more. So it's a good thing. It really is. So I can't really tell you for certain, but I know a lot more paths are opening up to me than I never, never thought would. So we'll see. <laughs> Same question for you, Alea. Now that you've been somewhat orange-pilled in your case, how do you see yourself looking at money differently? How do you see yourself possibly sharing Bitcoin with your fellow students or just your peers in general going forward? I don't know about the last part about sharing Bitcoin because that was something that kind of turned me off 
initially about it was how evangelistic people were because they're so passionate about it. They're like, oh yeah, my gosh, I this, get, is, totally this is gonna save your life. And then when someone tries to shove it down your throat, even with the best of intentions, it's your knee-jerk reaction to be like, oh, you know what? I'm just, I'm really not into that. You know, don't bother me with that. So I don't think I would, I don't see myself going into the space of intentionally trying to convert people to Bitcoin. If they ask me about it, sure, I'll talk to them. So I'm not sure where that will lead me. I guess you never know, never say never, but I just don't see that. And I, I've experienced the same thing with the Christian faith of people trying to shove it down my throat. And I'm like, okay, you know, just back off. I know, I know it's good. Okay. But with the other part of the question, I'm not exactly sure yet because I am still a freshman and my thinking about the future is what classes am I taking next semester and what am I going to major in and how am I going to make friends? I think just the fact that I have a mindset of I understand the value of something that is scarce. I understand the value of something that can withstand the test of economic weather storms, if that makes sense. Just that having that mindset when I'm approaching my major and when I'm approaching any sort of job opportunities that come to me will be really helpful. So I guess I can't really answer either part of that question. That's where and I, I think am. Something that once you realize, because when you were talking the whole time, I'm like, I hope we realize how fortunate we are. There are other kids at your school that are thinking about money every single day. They, you're not worried about it right now. You're worried about your classes. Their classes are second priority. They're worried about how they're going to pay their rent, how they're going to really eat. You know, like those are real problems. And we're fortunate that we don't, you don't have those problems. Emma doesn't worry about that right now, right? So we're fortunate, but there are those peers that are thinking about that because they have to. And we're fortunate, you know, you guys are fortunate that you don't have to because of the hard work, you know, on the shoulders that lifted you up, mm -hmm. right? Because I had to. I had no parents or parents, so I had no support, nothing. I was going to college, but I was also very worried about money every single second of the day. So I remember how my brain was in, and I know how you guys are talking, and I'm like, it makes me happy that we could accomplish what we did to put you guys in this situation. Mm -hmm. You know, where you can focus on your lives and your careers and what you want to do and enjoy. Mm -hmm. So not everybody's in that same situation. And I, I'm sure you guys are grateful for that. Yes, I'm very grateful, mom. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for helping me <laughs> with college. I appreciate it. I think that's what yeah. we're all as Bitcoiners trying to achieve is not yeah. necessarily for kids of parents who can provide all of that. But if we don't have to worry about inflation and if we can plan ahead for our future, then that frees our mind up to do other things. What class should I take next semester? And let me think about my career choices kind of thing. And that's why you and me, Stacey and me, we have such a sense of urgency because we can feel the change coming. And that's why she's in Bitcoin education and I'm in Bitcoin education because it's coming. And then most people don't know. And we're like, just... Well, British Hall, when you watch his podcast, he says the Hunger Games are coming. Like the like, right? The little clubs, us can get into Bitcoin now. But once the big banks, once the ETF comes in and the big boys come in and buy it, we're out of the game, guys. This is the first time ever in our lives the plebs have been able to front run anybody, any of the banks in a financial sense. That's why we're saying hodl, hodl, grab it up as much as you can, pack man it up because you're not gonna be able to do that much longer. When the banks come in, they have way more money than all of us put together. We're done. What you what you stack now is gonna probably be done when they get in, right? Because there's 21 million cap. 
Okay, but I have a question for you too, the, the Bitcoin gurus over here. I want to know what you guys think it would look like for capitalism when Bitcoin is to become the main currency. What would that mean for capitalism? I think it will become more fair and it would become easier. If you don't have the allocation of money in huge quantities sent to certain categories of groups, companies, corporations, then money becomes something that everybody can work for and expect that they can get a return based on the value they provide. I think up until now, we know how unfair the game is. And so your mom and I were working our butt off all day, every day, trying to build something from the ground up. And the game is so skewed for somebody else who can, who have access to large amounts of capital. So when the day comes and Bitcoin is the standard of money and that allocation is no longer possible, then at least we're, we're leveling the playing field. And I think the capitalism would actually bring up prosperity for a lot more people than a small group. What do you think, Stacey? Absolutely. The same thing Justin and I, Justin Redrick on Twitter, Bitcoin Vegan, my business partner is, we talk about the systemic prejudice built in the current system. You see it every day at work. The people that are filing bankruptcy probably don't even look like me, don't have my lifestyle. They don't have a PhD. They didn't have opportunities that I had. You know, maybe they did, maybe they didn't. But it's unfortunate because there's systemic prejudice, right? Justin, young black man, can't get jobs, can't get loans, all this kind of stuff. It's unfair. Everybody has talent. Everybody has skills. Everybody can add value. It doesn't matter your size, color, the disability, whatever, where you grew up, what language you speak. Everybody has value. Everybody has skills and everybody has a right to earn a living and a fair wage for what they bring to the table. And I think that's being on a Bitcoin standard that will, it will do that for us. And right now it's not like that at all. I mean, there are many roadblocks I still run into, even as a highly educated woman. Lots of things I don't get, uh, you know, lots of things. And I'm rejected for a lot of, we're not even good on that road, but there's a lot of things and on a Bitcoin standard. I'd make the same amount as the executive next to me now. Nope, not the case. Yeah, then so, it's value for value. <laughs> yeah, it would be value for value or at least closer to value for value than it is right now. Yeah, I, I feel like there are a lot of projects that are earning a ton of money and they provide very little value. That's right. That drives me insane. Oh my yeah. gosh, especially when I scroll around on YouTube and I see these people who have millions and millions of subscribers who are putting in one tenth of the work that I see my parents doing and it drives me insane and they're probably not being responsible with that money anyway. Now, they figured out how to make that money, so good for them and they should have it, they should keep it. It just it does make me really mad when I see really hardworking people from middle class or lower because there are a lot of people like that at my school who come from the lower middle class. It just... It drives me insane that they work so hard and they're just not compensated for it appropriately. I used to study Robert Kiyosaki 15, 20 years ago. He was the guy that Scott and I were trying to follow. And he has the cash flow quadrant. I don't know if you've ever oh, read yeah. his work. I but read the book. I know all about Yeah. Yeah. So the tax brackets, that was the mm -hmm. first time I ever realized how unfair the system was. And mm -hmm. for those of you who have, who don't know what that is, basically, if you look at just, we're talking federal tax, right? For your income, if you work as a professional, lawyer, doctor, engineer, you are taxed at the highest possible rate for your income. You're trading your hours for the dollars. 
and you've gone through school because in order for you to become a professional, you've got to go through school. So you've put in your time, you've put in your money, student loans or whatever tuition, and you're taxed at the highest rate. The next level down is capital gains tax. Those are the people who are using money to make money, right? But they're mm-hmm. actively investing it. So if you've invested in stock, it goes up, you sell it, you're taxed at capital gains tax. That's almost half of the tax you would have to pay as an engineer, doctor, lawyer, right? Mm -hmm. And then the next level is passive investors who use money to make money, but they're not even actively doing anything for it. And those people are taxed at such a tiny little rate and they do the least amount of work. They provide the money, but where do they have access to the money? Mm-hmm. You know, and that that realization, that one realization was what made me the most angry. Yeah, that passive income and how they earn that. They earn that passive income through a system that's got prejudice built in. Right. So, yeah. So it's, that's going to that opportunity is going to be available to some people, but not to others. Exactly. And that's wrong. It's wrong. Yeah. You have to have an education to understand how this complex system works. Yeah. And. Nobody fully understands the whole thing, you no. know. No. Well, those of us, those of us that are on this side of the curtain, if you're by the close to the money printer, you know, you yeah. understand it. We do. Yeah. yeah. Great question, Emma. Alea, what about the energy? I love that Emma always talks about energy, right? And that's kind of what we hear from Michael Saylor as well. Because mm-hmm. you put in your energy for your work every day, and that's your money. Your money is your proof of work. Right. But what Alea is saying in her college, these kids are working really hard and have little money. And some people put out one YouTube video, make more than that guy will make in five years. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's and that makes them it looks like they've got a lot more energy because they'll have bigger bank accounts, maybe than those others. So what do you think about energy um, and proof of work like that? And what do you think it will look like? How I just explained it, how it's unequal. Mm-hmm. Right. Do you think on a Bitcoin standard, maybe that can kind of become more equal? Because I, I I can hear your empathy for those people that work really hard and they have a hard time making their ends meet. Right. Mm-hmm. And then there are people who are just maybe more fortunate or maybe even lucky, you know, right place, right time. Mm-hmm. And they probably put out less effort, you know, doesn't mean they're not smart, right, whatever. And they may have a better quality of life because they'll have more money. Mm-hmm. I think it's difficult to say. I haven't really been keeping up with all my Bitcoin terminology and everything, so I I don't have a definitive answer on that as far as what it will look like. But honestly, I'm I don't really care about the people who have figured out how to make a lot of money with a little bit of effort because I'm not connected to them. I'm talking on a personal level, not I don't care about them as people. But on a personal level, I don't know them. I don't know their friends. I don't know their situation. What I care about is making sure that the people I love or the people I come in contact with are getting what they rightfully deserve. So my mindset isn't usually on this huge scale of how is the economy, how is everyone's life going to look like on a different money standard. I don't really care. I care about the girl I was sitting down with, I, I believe we talked about this before the recording started, she's asking me about what she should invest in in the stock market. I care that she has a future where she has a, something to rely on, something that's going to carry value through her young marriage. I believe she wants to get married soon. And when she wants to start a family, is there something that she can turn to that can support her? That's what I care about. And so I think on a Bitcoin standard, or even if she just had Bitcoin, it would help her so much. So I don't know if that answers your question. 
But that's, I think, much more on a personal level. I, I don't care about the upper level stuff. You use the yeah. one word that Emma uses. Well, I do feel you like in a way that is the big scale mm-hmm. without realizing it. Because if you take away that person's name and their face, that is a lot of other people on a bigger scale that maybe you just don't know. And so in a way, you do care about people that you haven't even ever met just because you care about this other person that's in like a similar situation, if that makes sense. So it I definitely feel like does. Yeah. Yeah. I think well, I, I could expand that- it, but I'm just talking about like my immediate life what I actually think about because I think with Bitcoin it gets to be so high level even though I understand the basics that I get lost and I'm like what how does this apply to me how does this apply to my friend how does this apply to my family member so I always try to bring it back to that and that's how I understand things on a larger scale but yeah you use one word that Emma always uses which I loved and I got it out of you I knew I could love you said love, the people that I love. Emma cares about love as well, right? We care about love. And guess what? We love everybody. I love you. I don't care if it's that person that Justin and I meet in prison, right? That made a mistake. Who had made a mistake? I break a lot of every day speeding because I'm I drive kind of fast, you know? <laughs> so maybe I'll be there one day. I don't know. But I think it's love. I think that's what Bitcoin equals love. And I think it resonates with people who care about humanity. Right. As the Americans, the tally knows this, we always talk about it's a vehicle for savings for us because we're a wealthy country. We have the world's best currency. And when Justin went to Oslo, he heard all about the humanitarian uses of Bitcoin. People who got out of Ukraine, people who were prisoners of war, people who were held captive in Africa were able to get out of their situation because of Bitcoin. We don't think about that. We really don't. And we're fortunate that we don't. But I think it all comes down to love. So the one thing that keeps me up at night is when I'm gone, is Emma going to be able to get to the Bitcoin? <laughs> it's that self-custody thing. I mean, it worries me a lot. I have heard other Bitcoiners have the same concern. Um, well, they all do, yeah. A lot of people do, yeah. Yeah, especially the Bitcoiners whose spouse is not on board. Right. Those people really, really worry. And there are yeah. a lot of them out there. Hence yeah. this podcast. So, <laughs> exactly. Yay! Thanks for joining us today. If the discussion with our guest resonated with you and you would like to dive deeper into the world of Bitcoin, don't miss out on joining the Orange Hatter Women's Reading Club. The meetup link is in the show notes. Also, if there are women in your life whom you think would both enjoy and benefit from learning more about Bitcoin, please share Orange Hatter with them. Until next time, bye! This episode is sponsored by Free Market Kids.